I don't know about you, but I, I know that I hate to lose things. Anybody hate to lose things? Let me give you some examples of things that we might lose that we hate to lose. I, I hate to lose this. This is my checkbook. I hate to lose my checkbook. I'm one of those old school people who still writes checks. Um, I know. I'm, I'm the one who you go to the grocery store and it's like, <laughs> are you seriously writing a check? It's like, don't judge me in my life decisions. I'm seriously writing a check. So uh, I hate losing my checkbook because then I got to write a check and I can't find my checkbook and it's like, oh, I can't pay my water bill without my checkbook. Anyway, so I hate to lose my checkbook. Uh, I also hate to lose these. Oh, how many of you ever lost these? No, these are my keys. You never lost my keys. How many of you lost your keys? Yeah. Is there anything worse than losing your keys? Because you never lose them like in the middle of the day, like when nothing's going on. You lose them when you're five minutes late and you're supposed to be somewhere. And it's like, where are my keys? And you're turning your house upside down. You're throwing couch cushions around going, where are my keys? Where are my keys? Kids, find my keys. And they're like, what? What are keys? Anyway, um, so I, I have a trick. I have a little trick uh, that whenever I lose my keys, I immediately, I pray about it. I say, Lord, show me where my keys are. You know right where they are. Show me where my keys are. And I, I find them within five minutes every time. Now, I'm not saying that God is your key genie because he's not. He's my key genie. No, I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> totally kidding. Totally joking. God is not our key genie. Uh, but he, he, I, I, whenever I pray about it, I always find my keys like within five minutes. It's amazing. Um, so uh, <clears throat> keys, hate to lose those. Hate to lose this. This is my wallet. And not that there's ever anything in it, although there's some green stuff in it today. I don't know where that came from. But uh, um, yeah, wouldn't you like to have that? A little wallet that just money shows up in every now and then? That'd be cool, right? But I hate it when I lose my wallet. I hate losing my wallet can't find it. I'm not losing it today, so it's going in the pocket. But uh, I, I hate losing my wallet uh, or, or this. This is the worst thing to lose, right? <clears throat> lose the, how many of you ever, <clears throat> excuse me, how many of you ever lost your cell phone? Is there any more terrifying feeling than like all my, my life is gone? My life is gone. Literally, uh, my credit cards are in there. My calendar's in there. My email's in there. All my information's in there. I, uh, I may as well move to the moon. Uh, because uh, I don't have my phone. And we go crazy when we lose our phones. Have you ever turned into a ninja? Like when your phone like, starts to fall? And everybody has ninja-like reflexes whenever they, uh, whenever they drop their phone. It's like, oh! You know, we could never move that fast to rescue our children, but we can rescue our phone. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so, and then last but not least, the thing that we hate to move, the thing that we hate to lose is this. The remote. Oh, oh, oh. Now, when I was a kid, I was the remote, okay? I mean, I, we had six channels, 2, 5, 7, 9, 11, and 32. I mean, I mean, you remember those days, right? Yeah, I was the remote. Sean, get up and change the channel. Okay, all right, you know, so you could walk across the shag carpeting and, and uh, change the channel, you know, hoping that one of them is going to come in. How many of you used to hit the side of the television to make the channel come in better? Or hook a, a coat hanger with foil on it? Yeah, right? We're talking old school, right? <laughs> Young people are like, you are so old, what are you talking about? Just reset the cable box. We didn't have cable. I mean, not at all. But anyway, cable was a tele for telegram in my day. But you lose the remote, and, and there's no lack of trust like remote trust. So like you're, you've lost the remote, and, and you're like, are you sitting on the remote? You ever do that? Are you sitting on the remote? No. Get up. There's no trust. There's no trust when it comes to the remote. Get up. 
I don't trust you. I don't believe you. And there it is. And there it is. Okay, princess in the pea, where, why is the remote under you? Anyway, so we hate to lose stuff. We hate to lose our keys. We hate to lose the remote. hate to lose our phone. hate to lose our wallet, checkbook, whatever. We hate to lose stuff. And I think that God hates to lose stuff too. <clears throat> I think that God hates to lose stuff. Specifically, I think God hates to lose people. And, and, and people get lost, right? I mean, people lose their way. They, people lose their, their path. And, and they get lost. And, and, and I believe that Jesus wants to find people. And I'm, we're going to talk about that a little bit today as we continue on in our new series. It's called The Short Stories Jesus Told. And we're looking at parables. And a parable is just a short story that Jesus told. And we're looking at, over the next two weeks, we're going to look at three short stories. We're going to look at two today and one next week. And these are all about lost things or lost people. And so we're going to look at these stories uh, these next two weeks from the book of Luke, chapter 15. Uh, w- this summer, we're going to talk about short stories Jesus told, and they're all from the book of Luke. Uh, as we talk about what it means to, what Jesus' uh, teachings were on heaven and on God and people, and we're going to look at these short stories that he told all summer. Last week, we talked about the, the short story of the Good Samaritan. And we talked about how uh, we are to love everybody. That when God says, when Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself, we are to love absolutely everybody. We love everyone. And and it may be someone who looks different than you. It may be someone who acts different than you. It may be someone who sins differently than you. It may be somebody who believes different things about God than you. It may be somebody that goes to a different church. It may be somebody who belongs to a different religion. It may be somebody of a different color, a different gender. Whatever it is, you're called to love them because they're your neighbor. That's what we talked about last week. And not just love them and say, oh yeah, I love all people. No, no, no. We're talking about loving people in Jesus' name. And that means loving, serving, and forgiving people. Because that's what he wants us to do. If we're going to look more like Jesus, it means that we have to love, serve, and forgive people. That's what being a a Christ follower is all about, is looking more like Jesus. So when it comes to loving our neighbors as ourselves, we are to uh, love everybody, no matter who they are. Because everybody is our neighbor, according to Jesus. Even those we've been taught to hate and despise, like the Jews and the Samaritans. So that's what we talked about last week. Uh, and uh, next week, we're going to talk about the story, of the, good, uh, the story of the prodigal son. But today, we're going to talk about two short stories Jesus told, uh, the story of a lost sheep and the story of a lost coin. And it may seem strange to talk about sheep and coins, but I think you'll see what we're talking about here in just a minute. First of all, we're going to do is we're going to talk about the audience, the people who were listening to Jesus tell these three stories, and then we're going to get into uh, the stories themselves. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 15. If you didn't bring one, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's uh, black in color. Uh, It's on page 740 of that Bible, page 740. And uh, we are in Luke 15. 1 through 10 today, and uh, uh, if you didn't bring your Bible, if you don't, or you don't want to use one in the chair in front of you, you can always use your smartphone or tablet. Uh, you can use the Bible app. I, I like uh, Version or Bible Gateway. They're both free on the App Store on the Google, or on Google Play. Uh, you can get uh, the, U, the Version app or the Bible Gateway app uh, and uh, look it up that way. So we're in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10 today, and then next week we'll finish off this chapter as we talk about one of Jesus' most famous parables. 
so I want to look at the first two verses here as we talk about the audience who is listening to Jesus. So Luke 15, 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and quote-unquote sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So you've got two groups of people who were attracted to Jesus back in his day. You have sinners and you have religious people. And for some reason, these two very disparate groups of people were attracted to Jesus. And the people who uh, were sinners, uh, these sinners, these tax collectors, they were attracted to Jesus because he loved them, uh, because he welcomed them, uh, he accepted them at, at face value for who they were, uh, he had compassion on them. He fed them. He healed them. Jesus loved sinners. And I tell you what, that's good news. I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you. But I know for me, for sure, I am a sinner. And I know you are too, because we're all sinners. And the good news is that Jesus loves sinners. And he wants to hang out with sinners. And we see that here in verses 1 and 2, that that's what Jesus was doing. He was hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. Now, what is a big deal about a tax collector? Tax collectors were absolutely hated in Jesus' day. Much like tax collectors in our day. No, if anybody works for the IRS, I apologize. You audited me five years ago, and it's okay. I'm not bitter. Um, so, um, but tax collectors were absolutely hated in Jesus' day. They were despised because they worked for the, the hated Romans. The Gentile dogs of the Romans, they, they worked for them. And what would happen is if you were a tax collector, you had to pay the Romans up front for the right to collect taxes. So you would give the Romans money and then you could go collect taxes uh, based on the value of people's property and, and things like that. And so after you paid the Romans, you could charge whatever you wanted. You could charge extra fees. You could set the value. You could assess the value at whatever you wanted it to be and collect taxes on that. And people were paying like 50, 60, 70 percent uh, tax rates. And, and so you've got people just hating tax collectors because they're ripping you off. They're working for the Romans, uh, who you hate. And, and it's just, it's a horrible thing to be a tax collector in Jesus' day. They were looked down upon and they were despised. And then you've got this group of people, the quote-unquote sinners. So you have these sinners who are hanging out with Jesus. Now the sinners could be any shade of sin you can imagine. Uh, from liars, thieves prostitutes they're all hanging out with Jesus and and the religious people of Jesus's day couldn't stand it they wanted nothing to do with tax collectors and sinners they were bound for hell and they didn't care but Jesus cared because like I said Jesus loves to hang out with sinners and that's good news for us in fact Jesus wants to hang out with us for all eternity and I think that's great news for sinners like us but the religious people of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they had no use for tax collectors. They had no use for sinners. Uh, the Pharisees, uh, those were the holy Joes of their day, uh, the, the ones who were you know, holier than thou. And uh, the Pharisees, uh, it came from a good place. They loved God's law. Uh, they loved the Old Testament, and they wanted to fulfill it. They wanted to keep it as best as they could. And, and not, but the problem is some of law, God's law in the Old Testament is a little vague. Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Do not do any work on the Sabbath. Well, what does that mean? I mean, am I working on the Sabbath by preaching? I mean, am I in trouble for doing that? 
So the Pharisees, what they did is they wanted to clarify and interpret the law of Moses so that people would keep it better. What they wanted to do is they wanted to build a wall around the law so that that way it wouldn't, you wouldn't violate the law or even any of the other laws that they set up by setting up this wall around the law. And so they would say, well, this is work. You can't carry your mat. The mat you would sit on, you can't carry your mat on the Sabbath because that's work. That doesn't sound like work to me, but according to the Pharisees, it was. So you were violating their interpretation of the law. And again, it came from a good place. They loved the law of God. They wanted people to fulfill it. It's just it, it tended to lead to self-righteousness. So you've got the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, those who taught the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the law of Moses, and, and they're standing off to the side. You've got Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes, oh my, and he's hanging out with them. And then you've got these religious people off to the side going, look at that, this is terrible. Who does this guy think he is? Does he even know who he's hanging out with? Jesus knew exactly who he was hanging out with. He's like, not only does he welcome sinners, but he's eating with them. And in those days, if you ate with someone, it was guilt by association. That Jesus must have been a terrible sinner because he's hanging out with terrible sinners. And <clears throat> when you hung out with sinners, when you ate with sinners, it was a sign of acceptance. It was a sign of acceptance. They were accepting, Jesus was accepting these people who were rejected by the religious people. So Jesus is not only uh, loving them and not only accepting them, but he is, he's eating with them and spending time with them. He's hanging out with sinners. And it's driving the religious people absolutely bonkers. Who does this guy think he is? So Jesus knows what they're thinking. He knows their hearts. And he's like, I'm going to tell you some stories. So he tells them two stories that we're going to cover today. And then we'll talk about the third one next week. But this first one is about a sheep. Suppose one of you, verse 3, uh, Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. By the way, everyone needs to repent. There are no 99 righteous people. Anyway, um, so you've got this shepherd. Now, shepherds tended to uh, herd their flocks together. So it's not just like the lone shepherd out in the field. He's surrounded by other flocks and other shepherds. And he's going, we're going to call him Ralph. So Ralph is uh, counting his sheep one day. One, two, three, 89, 90, 91, 92, 98, 99, one. Mm, mm. Where's Becky? I'm missing Becky. He knows his sheep by name. Uh, I'm missing Becky. Where's, where's Becky? My, my little lamb is missing. And so what he does is instead of saying, oh, well, poor Becky. He's like, I got to go find Becky. And so he leaves his 99 sheep in the hands of his other shepherds and he goes off until he finds Becky. Now here's the thing. Shepherds were financially liable for every lamb under their care. They had to pay for them if they ever lost one. Shepherds were the lowest of the low on the rung of society. They had no money. And so it's going to uh, cost this shepherd dearly if he doesn't bring Becky home. So he leaves the 99 sheep 
uh, with the other shepherds, and he goes off into the open country, uh, off into the, wherever he has to go to find Becky, and he searches for Becky until he finds her. And so he goes around and around and around, and he finally finds Becky, and then he just screams and berates Becky. What is wrong with you, you stupid sheep? Where'd you go? Why'd you, you nearly gave me a heart attack. No, 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 no. He says he joyfully puts the sheep on his shoulders to carry the lamb back to safety. Joyfully. And then when he gets back with Becky, he calls his fellow shepherds together. Yo, Jacob. Yo, Isaac. Come on, we're going to go. I'm not making this up. That's not their names. But um, he said, we're going to have a party. We're going to celebrate finding Becky. And so they have this celebration. They have this party over this insignificant little lamb. He was so excited that he found Becky that they threw a party. And Jesus says, this is what happens. The angels in heaven rejoice. The angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. We had three baptisms last Sunday morning. We had two at 9.30 one at 11 o'clock. And I believe that the angels had a party in heaven because of that. I imagine heaven looks kind of like a New Year's Eve party. When someone's about to get baptized, they uh, um, had the little champagne poppers. Little, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? They're a little bit louder than that, but anyway. Uh, so they, they, and they just get so excited. The angels are just getting ready to just, you know, burst forth into excitement when somebody gives their life to Jesus. I love that. That's so great. They rejoice. They celebrate. They party like it's 1999. It's just fantastic when someone gives their life to Jesus. The angels get excited. And then Jesus tells them another story. So you got 99, you have 100 sheep, one's missing, finds a sheep, they celebrate. Another story. Verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, it's amazing to me that this woman loses a coin and she sweeps her house and searches her house in order to find it. Now, here's the deal. It's not like this is some insignificant coin. Ten silver coins in this day and age represents about ten days' wages. Each silver coin is a drachma, and it represents about a day's wage. So here's the thing. If you make $50,000 a year and divide that by 52 weeks and divide that by five working days a week, that's about $200 a day. So this woman has about $2,000 wrapped up in 10 silver coins. Now imagine it's you. You've got $2,000 and you're sitting down to count your money. 100, 200, 300. And you always don't count your money at the table. There'll be time enough for counting when the dealing's done. You got to know when to hold them. No way to fold them. Anyway, sorry, Kenny Rogers moment. Um, so you're counting your money. 200, 400, 600, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. I had $2,000. I'm missing $200. And you think to yourself, ah, no big deal. It's just 200 bucks. Oh, you don't? <laughs> Neither do I. It's like $200 is $200. And I'm not gonna. I'm gonna find that two hundred dollars. I'm gonna panic and freak out. I'm not gonna go sit in the, in the lazy boy and take a nap until I find my two hundred. You know, and hope my two hundred dollars shows up. No, I'm searching my house for two hundred dollars. This woman has lost ten percent of her money. 
and it says that she was sweeping the house. The reason is they had stone floors and there'd be cracks in the floors. And maybe that if a, if a coin had fallen between the cracks, that by sweeping it, it would rattle the coin in the crack and she'd be able to find it. But she searches her house high and low. She sweeps the floors. She's searching everywhere for her coin. It's just one coin, right? It's 10% of what she's got. It's at $200. You're going to search for it till you find it. And then when she does find it, she finds it. And when she does, she calls her friends together and say, Rejoice with me. Let's celebrate and have a party because I found my money. How great is that? Now here's the thing. Jesus says that there is as much rejoicing in the presence of the angels when a sinner repents and turns to God. Now I got to be thinking about it. I started thinking about that a little bit. And I thought, you know what? That's interesting. That's interesting language. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels. In this second story, Jesus doesn't say that it's the angels who rejoice. There's rejoicing in their presence. Well, who could he be talking about? Who's in the presence of the angels? Or rather, whose presence are the angels in? See, it's not just the angels that rejoice when a sinner repents. It's not the angels that, just the angels that rejoice when a sinner comes to Jesus for forgiveness. When, it's, when a sinner puts their faith in Jesus and believes in him and repents from sin, confesses their faith and gets baptized. When a person gets baptized, it's not the angels that just, just the angels that rejoice. God rejoices. God rejoices. On the day that you were baptized, God celebrated. Oh, that'll give you goosebumps a little bit. God celebrated the day that you came home. Oh, man, that's awesome. God celebrated when you repented and came to Jesus. It's fantastic. And I'm convinced that God is not done celebrating. That God is not done celebrating. That he wants to keep celebrating. And so my challenge for you today is to think back over these past few weeks. We've been talking about some different things. Uh, we talked a few weeks ago about who's your one. And about identifying that one person that you want to bring to Jesus above everyone else. Who is your one? Who is that one lost sheep? Who is that one lost coin? Who is that one person that you want to bring to Jesus more than anyone else? That your deepest heart's desires, that one person would put their faith and trust in Christ and, and, and find salvation through Him. Who is that one person that you want to reach more than any other? Who's your one? We talked about that. And then Brandon preached a couple weeks ago and he talked about how uh, every, uh, every day is a mission trip and your mission field is wherever you're at. And that's so important to remember that we're on a mission and it's Jesus' mission to seek and to save the lost and he's given us that mission. He's given us that purpose. He's given us that obligation, that, that need, that desire to share what we've found with other people, to share Jesus with others. And so I want to encourage you today to be like the shepherd, to be like the woman who lost the coin, to be like the shepherd who lost the sheep, and to go after those people who don't know Jesus yet. To go after your one. To pursue them like a shepherd pursuing a lost sheep. To pursue them like a woman who's lost a coin. And to go after them so that they will find Jesus and that Jesus will find them. This is our job, folks. This is what we need to do. And we as a church are, doing, uh, are putting some things into motion. They're going to make GFCC an even better place for you to bring your friends and your family members. 
We're doing some things that are going to make GFCC even better and an even better experience for your friends and family members to come and hear about Jesus. We're making GFCC a safer place for people to come and hear about Jesus. Because we want to do whatever it takes to reach people who don't know Christ. I love this quote from Craig Rochelle. Look at this. It says, we will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Christ. To reach people no one is reaching, we'll do things no one is doing. I want that for GFCC. To be a church that will do whatever it takes to reach people for Jesus Christ. Because it is not just a temporary uh, stopgap. It's not just a temporary measure. We're talking eternity on the line. We're talking eternal life and salvation that are on the line here. And we have to do whatever we can, whatever it takes, short of sinning, in order to reach people who don't know Jesus. Because if they don't find Jesus, they don't go to heaven. And I can't let that happen. And you can't let that happen. We as a church cannot let that happen. And so we are committing ourselves as a church family to reaching the lost people of our communities. To reaching the lost people of the Griffith and Highland area. That we're going to do whatever we can, whatever it takes, to reach as many people for Jesus Christ as we can before he comes back. Because he is coming back. And when he comes back, it's too late. So we will do whatever it takes, whatever we can, short of sinning, to reach as many people as we possibly can. I figure there's probably about 30,000 people just in Griffith and Highland alone that don't have a church home, that don't go to church, that don't know Jesus. 30,000 people. Folks, we can't let that happen. We've got to reach people for Jesus. Amen? Because when we do, heaven parties. And I don't know about you, but man, I want to I make heaven party. I want to make heaven celebrate. I want our church to be a place that, that causes celebrations in heaven. We're going to reach people, my friends. Our church is going to grow. And it's not about just numbers. It's not about just getting bigger and, and, and bigger budgets and bigger numbers. And No, it's about people who need to know Jesus. And so as a church, we're going to do whatever it takes to reach people for Jesus Christ so that we can make heaven party every single day.